It's Sunday, June 30, 2019. This is I Like People, episode 14. I'm your host, Maxime, and I do indeed. As we devise ways to use and interact with our own technology, let's remember the importance of safety lessons. We may not always agree about what is deemed safe or unsafe in whose hands, but let us respect that if we do not treat powerful information and powerful mediums like the internet with due caution, we are changing ourselves without heed. And that doesn't give artificial intelligence a very good example, does it? Today let's meet a person named Lisa and talk about her musical hero, the great composer, Les Baxter. Hi. Hello. Where do your name and sense of identity come from? In, in previous podcasts, we asked to describe yourself. My first name? Sure. <clears throat> um, my parents named me, and they wanted a name for my sister and I that was short and couldn't be shortened like Jennifer could be shortened to Jenny or Jen. So Lisa can't really be shortened except a few people who are very close to me call me Lise, but very, very rarely. So was there any other thought behind the name like a relative named Lisa or something like that? No, not that I'm aware of. Do you like your name? Yeah, I do. I I haven't met very many people with the name Lisa. The only one that I can think of was a girl in my home ec class in middle school. And that was probably the first and last time that I really met somebody with the name Lisa. (laughs) I can tell you about my last name. It's kind of an adopted name. My dad's father's last name was Bastion. 
so technically I should be Bastion. His real dad and his adopted father's name is actually Bassett, but he was adopted by a guy named last named Penny. So it's really not like anybody's name that like his his adopted dad's name should be Bassett. So I could have been Bassett, but technically I'm probably Bastion. But he took Penny and we all like Penny. So you took Penny too. Well, that was what I was that was what I was given because my dad was Penny. I've been told that my name Lisa Penny sounds like a little kid's name and I like that. <laughs> Are you fake laughing? No. Okay. That's my real laugh. No, I just you can edit this part out. What part am I editing out? The part where you laugh. You know that I've told you that story, so I don't know why you're laughing. It's still funny. Okay. As long as it's still funny. You think that I would just go, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> yes. I don't know. Why would I do that? I don't know your podcast persona. I didn't know if you were like, oh, oh, oh it's funny. Chortle, chortle. <laughs> Audience, it is time to laugh. <laughs> like you, you hate um, laugh tracks, but you <laughs> you make one for your own. Yeah, I'm just jealous of all those voices. I make my own laugh track. So where does your sense of identity come from? I'm an artist. That is my big identifier because I do art. How do you know what you do is art? I guess in the traditional accepted way that it is considered art. How do you know it's considered art? What are you describing? Illustrations, paintings, artisan type things. I don't know how else I would elaborate on it something I was born with and I've done it my whole life and I have to do it and I want to do it and I love to do it. Um, I've also been identifying with depression for a long time. Can you tell us about that? How have you been dealing with that? Mostly medication since early teenage years. From then on still to now. It hasn't been till recently that I've actually felt like I could come out of depression with the help of me, not just medication. That's really nice to think about. What do you think has been the major factor? Probably growing up and taking a long time to realize that the things that we're told that we want or the path that we should go is not necessarily what's always right for us, for me. Societal pressures on us that you've kind of overcome or took a stance against. Well, I went to school and I went to college and I graduated from college and there was no jobs for me. I'm not saying that there weren't jobs, period, because I did have friends that graduated and got jobs but I didn't get a job and I thought that was the only thing that had to happen was I had to get a job in the animation industry and that was the way that my life was supposed to go 
and it didn't really work out that way except that my sister was in animation and that studio needed help. She recommended me. I worked there very, very briefly and then I ended up working at another studio in Burbank and I hated it. So after that job ended, I had to figure out what I wanted to do because working at a studio wasn't what I wanted to do at all. I hated every minute of it. So I just started doing kind of what I wanted to do and it it blossomed into new ideas, pathways that I could make myself instead of walking a pathway that was, oh, get a job at a studio and be a cog in that machine. How have you avoided that? It seems that's that's really hard to do in our society. Um, I guess I could say that living at my mom's house was instrumental in that, that I didn't feel like I had to take any risk to, oh, well, I better go get that job at the supermarket because I have to pay my rent. So I was afforded an opportunity to find my own path because I didn't have to struggle financially, maybe not being so embarrassed that I was the age that I was and still living at my mom's house. Other people might have found motivation to not be living at a parent's house. What do you end up doing? So you get away with just making art and selling it? Yeah. I mean, it wasn't... It's never been hugely profitable. I've never made a lot of money from it, but it's allowed me to kind of do whatever I wanted. And if people liked my stuff, which social media has been incredibly beneficial for that, People who do like my art can find it and want it and purchase it. Didn't you start on Etsy and then move away from that? I did start on Etsy because social media wasn't as big as it is now. And Etsy was more of the social media aspect. Like if you want handmade goods, you have to go to Etsy to find them. So that was beneficial at the beginning. Etsy was good for that. And when Instagram, when I really began to engage in Instagram is when I could move away comfortably from Etsy because people could just find them on any social media platform and be linked to an independent website. And I was happy to move away from Etsy. I don't think that they care enough about the sellers. Do you have any insights that you want to share about how Etsy could improve? Probably not, because there's probably a lot of stuff that I don't understand that they're having to cover their own butts for, that they're not willing to go out on a limb and stand by the sellers. So it's kind of a customer is always right sort of situation. Unfortunately. Got it. That seems to cover you. You have a a very inspirational story It sounds like you were going through some issues with depression and part of it caused by this feeling like, where do I fit? Where do I belong? And you always had this strong sense of identity and then that allowed you to uh, make your mark or create your own way of being in the world and, and surviving that way. I didn't become depressed probably because of social society standards. It was just something that happened. Probably a divorce had a lot to do with it. Also being 
a teenager being in an awkward phase of growing up. But you're talking about your parents getting divorced. Yes. That was an emotional, that took an emotional toll? Probably. I don't really remember. I think actually I went to my therapist for the first time because I had an OCD problem washing my hands. And she was also saying, you are also depressed. So I probably didn't go in for depression. I went in for OCD, which it was really bad. I came out with medication for depression and OCD. How do you feel about that now? Are you thankful for that that kind of treatment? I am, and that might be naive, but I don't know what the other options would have been, and nobody gave me other options, so I'm a very black and white kind of person. It would have been, oh, here's medication or here's nothing. So, yes, I'm glad that I had something. So it sounds like you're on a, a path of improvement. That's really nice. Yeah, I haven't probably been happy in forever, if ever. Did you want to make me cry? <laughs> no, I didn't want to make you cry, Lisa. You're a wonderful person. I'm really glad to have you in my life. Is there any advice that you would give to someone who is still wallowing in the pits of depression where you feel you had been, and they, they want to know how to get to where you're at, where you're, where you're now realizing, okay, there's a way I can at least at least have a little hope here i i don't have specific advice for how to get out of depression mine has been a journey that i didn't even know about and how it would go or that i was even on it but i will just say that it gets better it gets so much better don't don't lose hope is all I is all I can say because I wanted to lose hope all the time. You want to lose hope when it seems like it's easier to stop suffering. Yeah, when you think, oh well, maybe if I just kill myself, it'll be better. But getting to where I am now, if you had told me when I was in the little oubliette of my depression, she would have just laughed at you. You have no idea what you're talking about. It's never going to get better. And you're never going to be happy. But I am now. Is that a part of your personality too? You you tend to be, as you said, black and white thinking? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have been able to accept like, you're going to be happy, but it's not going to happen like turning on a light. It's going to be like, okay, well, start climbing this mountain and you'll get up to the sunshine. But that wouldn't have been anything I would have heard anyway. Well, thank you for sharing those deep thoughts. I guess I would just ask, isn't it true that you were also raised in a, a Mormon household? Do you think, do you still identify with that? I was raised and baptized Mormon do I identify with it? Um, there are remnants, yes, but a lot of it I have grown up and seen that I don't need a religion like that or Mormonism is actually considered a cult, but... Do I, you consider it a cult? No, I don't, but that's how it's classified. 
if you look it up. I don't think of it that way at all. It wasn't until I was older that I heard that. I don't need something like that. I feel like I'm strong enough to interpret my own spirituality, which I guess is how I've had to interpret my life, make it up as I go. Not saying that I am making up any religion, but, you know, I can decide, like, I don't drink coffee, but I don't think you have to be Mormon and not drink coffee. Like, I don't think coffee is horrible and evil. So there are, there are remaining things that, yeah, there are some good qualities of Mormonism. They're definitely always there to help be outreaching for people who need help and to bring people in and that's a really good quality. I babysat for two Mormon families when I was in high school and they were very loving and accepting people and they were always happy to help, you know. I'm sure they knew I was depressed and they always were there to talk to me, so that's my experience with Mormons too actually. They're very uh family oriented and friendly. I do get concerned when I hear about high rates of teen suicide and and women in Mormonism feeling oppressed by it. That does make me pause. Most Mormons I've met are very uh, kind people. Yes. Um, I feel like you can very easily mistake kind Mormons as being incredibly judgmental. I've had that, but it's really not the case. I can think of two who seem like they're judging you, but they're not. They're actually incredibly loving and understanding and would do anything for you. I don't really know a lot about the teen suicides. I know that the church is incredibly male dominant, so I can see that there would be issues for the women. Um, Unfortunately, as I have been able to realize that I don't need everything that they're saying, I was strong enough to say, hey, you know what? I'm okay doing X, even though maybe they say X is bad, but some other people are probably not strong enough to do that. How do you think my question goes? Where do your name and sense of identity come from? Is that the right opening question? Well, I mean, the name part is an introduction. That's fine. Usually you don't go, hey, I'm Lisa. What's your name and where did that come from? <laughs> Using the word identity seems like a like a big stamp of answer this question finite where I am constantly still figuring out who I am and how I'm going to continue. And so I guess the only thing and it's how I answered my question, was I'm an artist. I've always been an artist. I joked that I was born with a crayon in my hand. I came out drawing, so... So maybe the the question would be better phrased as something like, what is meaningful to you? Or or what is what moves you? Or something along those lines? Something more describing instead of... And it's just my interpretation of the word identify... But to me, identify kind of means like stand here holding the sign that identifies you. <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I'm i still working on these questions. I'm sorry. That's okay. If you had said, 
how would you describe yourself? And uh, this is coming from part of a podcast that I heard you start out was something about being human. And I would say if you had continued with the human part of it, it would have been like, well, I'm a human artist. That's how I would describe myself. That's a perfect segue. My second question is, what is being human? What does being human mean to you? I have no idea. I I don't think anybody knows. I guess if I have to put it the way that I've been describing, being human means that I have five fingers and opposable thumbs and a brain that allows me to be an artist. There are other animals, I think, that show signs of I don't know how to put it. I don't know if they're artists or their creativity or it's like, you know, like I thought there were birds that would collect only blue things. Like to me, that seems like some sort of a characteristic of not all animals do that. So for whatever reason, I'm fortunate enough to be a human who can do art. That's cool. Yeah. I think there are animals that exhibit signs of creativity of some kind and maybe we are just the most prolific species could be Uh, monkeys gorillas orangutans apes whatever you know they all have fingers and opposable thumbs but they don't make art so i i can't really say what it is being human that allows me to be an artist so I really don't I really don't know what does it mean to be human it means that we all look like humans I I don't know (laughs) I like that our classification is being human as we look like human that makes sense to me question three have you ever had a, a metaphysical experience or encounter can you define metaphysical damn it this question is so hard to ask metaphysical is not paranormal is it Right, exactly. So my friend Aaron kind of phrased it, have you ever had a a change in your perception of reality? Oh, well, here's one. Okay. I had a falling out with a friend. I came to realize that the way I had been acting was a reaction, an emotional reaction to trauma. You know, not like, I lost a limb trauma, but emotional trauma. And I, even though I am in my 30s, I was not above reacting emotionally. And unfortunately, or fortunately, having that happen, I realized, oh crap, we are all reacting emotionally. None of us really exhibit Vulcan traits. We don't keep our emotions in check at all. And we just kind of knee-jerk reaction through our entire lives with our emotions. And I realized that it doesn't matter how old you are. I thought my parents were like adults, like across the board. Like those are adults. Those are examples of adults. And those are the adults that, you know, like that I will become. And it's not true because my parents still react emotionally. And it was something that I realized, oh, 
We all do this all the time. And it doesn't matter how old you are. That was kind of a shocking revelation. (laughs) Maybe none of us actually grow up and get our emotions in check. That's definitely a significant observation. Thank you. Maybe this is related. Question four. What's the best way we can honor life? On Earth, specifically. If we could just be nicer to everybody. I know that sounds like, well, that's a corny answer, but I say this all the time. If everybody could just take one step. I'm not even saying you have to climb an entire flight of stairs to get to another level. If everybody could just step up one step to being kinder, more aware, less hurtful, you know, less selfish, it would make all of the difference. And it's not even that much to ask for. It's not even that much to ask for because I'm not asking you to change who you are. It's just like, instead of cutting off three lanes of traffic because you want to get into the right-hand turn lane and you want to do it now because it's your street that you want to turn on, instead of inconveniencing every single car, you just go, you know what? I can make it to the right-hand turn a couple blocks or even just one block after the one that I wanted to turn on. Just being one step more considerate, I think would make just a world of difference. And I I just don't think it's asking too much, but maybe today it is, but I don't think it is, but I might be thinking too highly of humans (laughs) if, if I think that they can just take one step to being a slightly better person. I think that's uh, a, a thing that, that we can think about asking people in some way. That's uh, it's a nice thought. It's a very nice thought. Question five. What does community mean to you? What is community? I'm not really sure. I've, I met two people who live in this neighborhood when I was out walking my dog. And they just were like, hey, where do you live in this neighborhood? We should all kind of know each other and be nice to each other. And that's a good step. And that's, you know, that's just the level of the neighborhood that we live in community. But like, that's a good, that's a good one. Like, how about we're just nice to each other? How about we say hi to each other? How about we think like, oh, I've seen you in your yard several times. Maybe I'll wave to you. We can just be nicer and friendlier and that opens so many more doors to oh hey I know that that's Charlie's dog and it ran away I'm gonna go get that dog and I'm gonna take it back to him you know it affords other opportunities to just being nicer because you know these people also Mormons are incredibly like helpful you know if Uh, My grandmother has these citrus trees in her backyard and she's complaining that she could never get all of the citrus off of them. And my dad tells her, call the church. There are tons of young men, you know, teenage boys who are probably looking for service hours. And also they're, you know, they're in a, in a church that 
they would help even if they weren't getting the service hours. You know, they would come over and be like, I will, I will come pick the citrus off your tree. And in turn, it's like, okay, so they came and they picked the citrus and you're going to keep some of it. But then like, hey, you could take the rest of the citrus to the church or to a shelter or something. So it's just, there's lots of ways that we could just take little steps that let us get to know each other and blossoms into better relationships. Thank you. Sounds like you're saying community is kind of about having just that little extra bit of familiarity that that enriches everyone's life who approaches that familiarity. Yeah, I'm sure it's a lot deeper than that, but I haven't been in a lot of communities. I'm just trying to relate to it in the small way that I know it. Thank you. This next question is the second to last question. What projects or collaborations are you presently most excited about? I am working on a new product with my boyfriend that we're pretty excited about. It affords us a lot of potential freedom. And aside from being kind of fun to work on in having to figure it out along the way, it will be fun to have a job for us that we have created. Like I said, I don't want to work in a studio where I was miserable. If I can be my own boss, we create our own product, we create our own timelines, we create all of it for ourselves, we can be given these great freedoms. And as much as I hate social media, it has been an incredible tool for connecting me with others, people that I never would have been able to work with, who actually are helping on this project as well, but also getting my art and this project and anything else in front of people in a platform that did not exist like when I graduated college. It, it might have been starting, I don't think it was, but... I think we live in an incredibly lucky time that we can, you know, open an app that opens up a whole world of people and products and things that it's not exactly what you were asking, but the project that we're working on is really only able to work because of the social media aspect. You mentioned that uh, social media had some negative aspects, uh, but then you mentioned a bunch of positive aspects. So is there some room for gray there? Gray? Not black and white thinking? I mean, everything everything has a good and a bad. And yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of in between. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of Instagrams of people showing off their socks or something, you know, things <laughs> that don't really matter. They're not really offensive and they're not really groundbreaking so yeah if that's what you're asking gray then sure i mean what are the negative aspects of social media the negative aspects are unfortunately that you can feel safe to say incredibly horrible things to people and i know that that's not the only one but that one is a big one and you know starting fights saying nasty things feeling confident and secure in telling someone, oh, well, why don't you just kill yourself? And you're just like, why would you even say that? 
Just take a second to think about if you were going to say that to that person's face, but it doesn't even matter. It's, and unfortunately, another horrible aspect about it is it's instant. If you're angry or sad or happy, you can immediately post it and there's no time to sit and think, oh, well, you know, maybe I'm fuming right now and I shouldn't put this on Twitter it doesn't stop anyone. I mean, if anything, people, they post it, they get in trouble for it, they take it down, and then they have to apologize. But if you could just take a minute to think, maybe I should just go sit in the corner without my phone for like 10 minutes. And and then also, maybe I shouldn't say to this woman, oh, you should kill yourself, because I could take a second to think about if I actually was looking at her and saying it to her face. It just is, it's just, there's so many aspects that can just be terrible, but I have been incredibly fortunate to mostly just deal with the good side of it, meeting awesome people and having positive results from being on Instagram. (laughs) Your tone of voice was like the and? No, there's no and. I, I I, you know, I'm getting fired up. Yeah, social media, that's bad. But like me personally, I don't have things to be so angry about. But, you know, I've heard plenty of stories from people that I know. And you're just like, I can't believe that they somebody would say that to you. Or I can't believe that this person tricked you into thinking that you were friends and then they took money from you. It's just, it's it's all terrible. And... Right, but it's not all terrible. It's I hear not, it. It's not all terrible. There is, for me, it has been probably 98% perfect positive. And how do you think you've avoided that? Because I have seen you use it in ways that are a little different from the average person. Like, I don't see you posting a great deal of personal information, for example. Don't you think that might help? Or are there other things that help you avoid the, the heartbreak of social media? I think being kind of a shy person who's not overly into sharing about myself or even posting about myself or posting pictures about myself, I'm not trying to toot my own horn. I'm just saying that I feel like I have a little bit of professionalism that I think might have to do with, like, I take this seriously. I take my art seriously. I take my business seriously. I'm not on here to show you my toe jam, you know? (laughs) Um, And it also was, I think it's also been helpful that anytime I have posted something like me working on art. Um, So here's my face. I lose followers. So it's like, okay, well, you don't want to see my face anyway, which is fine. So I just won't post personal things. I will ask uh, for a picture of you for the album cover of this podcast. Maybe I'll draw you a picture of me. Uh, That's fair. Are you ready for the last question to save humanity? Okay. Okay. How can we all realize more human happiness together?
I think I already commented on how we could all work together to make things a little bit better for, even if it's just happiness, it doesn't necessarily change everything, but if we all could just take a little step in the right direction of being more considerate and kinder, maybe not all stuck in our own heads, it's it's kind of ridiculous that we're all doing this together as humans, you know, everything is out there that is potentially harmful, you know. I mean, if we didn't have weapons or shelters, we wouldn't, you know, be able to outrun lions. We're all in this together, but we make it more difficult for each other by being against each other, so. Well, well said. Well, that concludes the seven questions to save humanity. There's still two questions. They're kind of bonus questions. I feel like because you're a special guest, maybe... I can ask you these too, but if you're not willing, it's fine. Basically, they're questions from previous guests to the next guests, and one of them was our friend Aaron, and another one is from Avi. Would you like to answer either, both, or neither? Do you give this bonus question option to other guests? Yeah, it's always optional. Okay. I mean, sure, I'll try. Okay. Well, Aaron's question is, what is your favorite aesthetic genre and why from any form of art? Um, probably illustration. I'm not sure. I like a lot of different... Well, we know you like cute, right? Well, yeah, but that's in the eye of the beholder. What I think is cute isn't necessarily what other people think is cute. J.C. Lindecker's art is insanely beautiful. Sheila Beckett, her illustrations, and I would say... Lindeckers are very, I don't know, stylized in some way with a lot of attention to detail, clothing, hands, a little bit of angularness with Lindecker. Um, There's a lot of precision in both of those artists. Yes, there is. I, I don't really know how to describe it, but then like on the flip side, like I can enjoy Shag. I mean, I'm, there's some other artists that I could mention, but I'm sure not a lot of people have heard of like Pablo Ramirez who did children's books in like the 60s really graphic angular oh yeah Pablo Ramirez was way ahead of his time it looked like I mean his stuff holds up now it's very contemporary oh yeah but so that's like I don't know I don't I'm not sure there's an aesthetic that I prefer because I find a lot of things very interesting but Definitely Sheila Beckett and J.C. Lindecker are like so epic and sometimes hard to look at because they're so beautiful. <laughs> if, if you can figure out what the aesthetic is between those, then maybe there's something. Thank you for that. Well, I think that's a great answer. Avi also had a question, which is more abstract maybe. What's the question that if you had the answer to it, it would give you peace? Maybe that I w- if I knew... That I could be with everyone that I love here, my family, in the afterlife. If I could, if I could know, like I'm going to cry just thinking about it. If I could know that I was going to get to see them again, for sure. Oh, that's very sweet. You've seen some signs and proofs that there's something beyond, though, haven't you? I think so. But knowing definitively would be really helpful. <laughs> Lisa, if you could ask the next guest one question, 
that they have to answer, what would it be? I don't know if I have a question. I would ask that the next person just seeks out their sunshine. So if you if you need a question, then you can ask them if they have found sunshine, what it is. That's really sweet. Thank you for that. Uh, when we come back, we'll review uh, one of her favorite musical artists, Les Baxter, and his song, Mozambique. Let's talk Les Baxter. What do you like so much about him? He, well, not only does he, he tells such an amazing story with all of his work. There's just, I, I really love his music. I think he is a musical god. Not that he is the god, but that he is a musical god here on Earth. Um, it's just got so many different things, telling so many different parts of the story. And it sets such an incredible mood. It puts me in a space where I can create the story in my, my mind of what I think the story is. And it it takes me somewhere else completely. And I think the depth of his music, like, that it's not just... It's not just like a guitar and a drum and a piano. It's so much more. I, I mean, to me, I just respect that beyond because... I feel like he's working with so much in his, is arsenal the right word? Mm -hmm. In his arsenal is repertoire, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. He knows so much. Yeah, he, didn't he, he trained, we've been reading about him. Yeah. He trained at Pepperdine College, but then. Um, he kind of went out and learned a lot on his own from a lot of jazz people. 
We've learned a lot from a really good book by his um, friend that he met late in his life, James Spencer, a composer and fellow tiki file. Were they both? Was Baxter a tiki file? Yeah. Did that say that? They were into that kind of thing. I mean, oh, that's were? why he okay. made this kind of music, I yeah. believe. I just, it's it's like being able to perfectly, or I mean, at least with your own finesse of colors, you know, um, I get complimented on my my color use, and it's it's. It's like being able to hold all of those colors and know what is really good about all of them and being able to put them in a piece where they create their own kind of visual symphony, you know, but he's doing it with music. And for me, I am not musical at all. I tried to play the violin for a year in like fourth or fifth grade. I couldn't read music. I had to quit because I was memorizing the songs and... They got longer and harder, and I couldn't do it, so I quit. But for me, I could never imagine writing this that he creates. It's, it's kind of indescribable for me. I see what you're saying. Yeah, it's it's like a landscape or a, or a whole world that he makes using audio. audio. Whereas I do it visually, he does it musically and i can't even begin to to imagine how he can put these together but as as the maestro <laughs> he he is obviously very talented now do you ever find that his music sounds too close to um soundtrack music for example where it it creates a picture because it's only evoking all the stereotypes and clichés we have in our minds from visual visual cues i'm just gonna cut you off and say no i don't because i mean the ones that i really really love like we were listening to mozambique like to me doesn't sound like it would even be a, a score for a movie because so much is going on that's being told audio only whereas with i think movie scores are are, are playing off of the visuals. And, yeah. And there's no visuals for these. I mean, so he did do scores for movies, but I, as far as I know, that one, it was off of the exotic moods of Les Baxter. I, it, it wasn't set to a movie. It was only using its self to tell a story. Yeah, I think there was something about... I can't remember which composer said it, that it might even have been a, a director... Akira Kurosawa comes to mind. I could be completely wrong about that. That music for the movies has to actually have something kind of missing from it mm-hmm. that the visual fills in. Yeah. Um, whereas I think that was what I was trying to say. Yeah. Uh, but his music it stands on its own as a an oral landscape that you can go and just um, kind of bask in and feel uh, kind of transported to another world. Arguably, some people would say, well, it's tacky or cheesy to have, you know, animal calls and things like that. But uh, in all fairness, I don't really think Les ever did the animal calls. That was very Martin Denny. It was when Martin Denny was using his song, Quiet Village. Quiet Village was actually by Les Baxter, and they performed it in Hawaii outside. And there were 
actual... I mean, that's how the story goes, is there were actual, like, birds and frogs and things that were in the background, and then people wow, people people requested, <laughs> we'll play that one with all the, the you know, the birds and the frogs. So, 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 yeah, so Martin Denny's group did that. And Martin Denny got his start in the Les Baxter Orchestra, didn't he? I believe that they did work together. Okay. Um, but, man, Les just does it with like finesse we haven't yet gotten a hold of although i'm very fascinated and and excited to find um music out of the moon which was his kind of debut with the theremin and choir and we've heard some of the songs on youtube i think you can find them but wow he basically kind of uh, he, he created he created the futuristic bachelor pad lounge music yeah, yeah like future bachelor retro future bachelor pad exotica or something well you like wouldn't that. say retro because it was at the time, the time it was futuristic yeah. right and this was in the was it as early as the 40s or he the 50s he was doing work in the 40s but I'm not sure that that moon one was from the 40s what does Mozambique suggest to you when you hear it when you hear that glockenspiel or xylophone or marimba, or- uh, to me, it's a, a village in the jungle, just setting some sort of mood and stage. It's like the setup scene, you know, like the wide shot. Further away, you're looking at this, and then when it kicks in, it's it's telling a story. I I'm not sure what the story is. I'm sure it changes in my mind every time that I listen to it, but. It's the romanticized, maybe a Polynesian jungle where, I mean, as the album cover suggests, maybe there's a tiki playing a xylophone. You know, it's (laughs) amazing. So it's kind of fantastic. What do you think about Les um, being inspired by other cultures? I mean, we learned that while he was going to college, he was kind of told by this conservative college, you know, don't associate with those negro people and gay people and you know it was very it was something that he rebelled against and he went off to find the most cultural elements he he could find within his own city context on the scale of appropriation do you think that he is taking too much he's listening he's traveling listening to exotic sounds and then just like incorporating them into his music and getting money off of it at capitol records i don't think it's anything besides inspiration and filling your toolbox with i mean i i assume he has like an audio dictionary in his head that he uses to build things where i have a visual uh, dictionary in my head that i use and i've seen lots of art from all over the place and it's just how he puts it in his blender and pulls it out as i mean we could keep the kitchen metaphor as you know like the really poetic loaf of bread that he has all of these amazing ingredients that he's collected yeah so it sounds like instead of just like taking someone's bread and then selling it in his bakery and saying he made it He's he's discovered certain spices and ingredients I'm, I'm and, and sure he's he's mixed and created things that you know maybe didn't go together. I I find it quite magical 
because people who are limited in their scope could possibly not do the great things that I hear from Les's work. So yeah, and he was really quite versatile. I mean, he did like rock and roll he to horror film these, scores to like these exotic things from lots of different cultures and plainly a virtuoso. Um, it'd be interesting to see if um, Les Baxter is remembered in the near future or if he will continue to fade. I just think that he's underappreciated in a way, kind of like how James Spencer wrote. Yeah, I I think that the phrase, the what the founder of like tiki music or the father of tiki music, I think goes to like Martin Denny, but in my opinion, Denny doesn't have the finesse and the the wonderful storytelling that Les is able to create and put you in. Les's work is just, I think, so far above. Uh, Martin Denny, you can find his records uh, at probably any, you know, secondhand store, you know, used record store. You can find so many more of his his records. I have more Denny records than I do Baxter, and that's... I love the Exotica music and Denny's music, but I would much rather have, like, the full library of Les's work. You know? Which which is really rare, if not... I mean, they're saying there hasn't been re-releases even. It's so sad. Yeah. The, there's the one, the Exotic Moods of Les Baxter. I remember looking for it maybe early 2000s and it was I was looking for it on CD and it was like $35 like it was kind of ridiculous Mm -hmm. um so I never could afford it now you could just listen to it on YouTube but I really wish he he was appreciated so much more but I find that I really like some of the things that are not as well known like Sheila Beckett is an incredible illustrator and I find her books at secondhand shops all the time and I it takes a lot not to just buy them because (laughs) I know that I will love them so much even if I have 12 copies of the 12 days of Christmas you know I have to stop myself from buying it. They're mostly like a dollar, so it's not like I'm spending a lot of money, but I just want to save them and be like, you can come be in my house and I will love you. Since somebody was like, well, this book is nothing and I'm going to donate it. Um, Maybe you're the caretaker of those things and you should get them so that you can give them to friends that you care about. I do. I do. I, I end up gifting the things. I shed light on some of the things that I really love that are kind of less known, like uh, Pablo Ramirez is right, we a, talked about a, him yeah. a extraordinary illustrator and I, I I mean I don't gift that one no his, you inspired me to find them and buy yeah, them for myself he, his are harder to find and so if I find it I'm keeping it but uh, Sheila Beckett's books she she did a lot of the Disney ones she's uncredited with a lot of them but you can tell her style if you right know. yeah if no it's easy to see that if, she if did you're, it. if you're looking and you know what you're looking for you can see which one she did um, I find the 12 days of Christmas one as a little golden book all the time and I I've cl- I, ha- I probably have like five or six of them right now but I have gifted some of those to people 
What what to you is the value of these works that are escapist to another world? You can just live here. You can live in reality and see ugly stucco brown apartments everywhere. You can see trash in the streets. You can see people who are just wearing khakis and an oversized shirt with Superman on it. And it's just, it's not that those things aren't fantastic in their own way. They're not maybe everything that appeals to me. So less is creating a place that doesn't exist, that is fantastical and beautiful and is maybe filled with glowing tiki torches next to a tiki plane, the xylophone. And Sheila, man, the way that she illustrates her hands or her character's hands and her fabric, or I can even picture a pumpkin that she drew in this Cinderella book. And it is the cutest pumpkin. And yes, it looks like a pumpkin, but it looks so lovely and unlike a pumpkin that there's just something about being able to escape the mundane, I guess. So that it kind of creates a pure form of a pumpkin, for no, because it doesn't even, you know, it's not like truly, truly pumpkin, but you like you could go around Halloween, you could go to any store and they have that pumpkin shape that you've seen a billion times and pumpkins are cute, you know, real natural pumpkins are just adorable, but the fake ones, those aren't very attractive. But then she, she creates this drawing of a pumpkin that is so lovely and gives it this whole new light that I never even knew I wanted to see in a pumpkin. Okay, so in a way, it's not just this yearning that you, that you can't quite get to this fantasy world that doesn't exist. It's more that it, it sheds a special form of appreciation for, for the world we're in, in a way. I don't know how to describe any of this. Yeah, I've been trying to get you to describe yeah, you, this for a while. Yeah, and I, it it fails. It's hard. I yeah. don't think it can happen. I'm not sure if it can. Yeah. It's almost like your description of the thing is the art form that is the inaccessible world. Because Les Baxter creates this inaccessible perfect fantasy. Yeah. Sheila Beckett creates this inaccessible perfect fantasy. And if I try to ask you to explain it and bring it into existence, you're like, can't be done the yardage of the the gowns that she gives some of her characters you're just like look at that stylized wrinkle that is just so phenomenal it's just it's just lovely i appreciate the work i appreciate everything that less has pocketed and been able to spice in his own work same with sheila her stuff is phenomenal. You can tell. I mean, not only does she have, like, the the little, like, sparkle that I don't see in a lot of things, but she's clearly worked and perfected and worked really hard for it. 
I mean, for me, I mean, we've completely gone away from music, but I'm really tired of seeing digital art. I'm really sick of it. It's like, okay, yeah, you own your iPad and you have your Apple Pencil and you can do whatever you want. And I'm really sick of it. I'm really sick of digital art. It's almost like for you, what you see and hear in the art that you like sometimes is the great striving of the artist itself. Probably. Laziness is horrible. It's a monster. It's a devil. And I'm so sick of it. I I just see lazy artists on Instagram all the time. And it's not that they're not skillful, but you could collect hundreds of artists off of Instagram who are all doing the exact same digital thing. They're doing the same style, the same people, the same colors. They're they're doing all the same. And that is lazy to me. It's really easy for them to all just go, well, I'm going to pick up that apple from that basket. It's really easy. It's already there. I'm going to take that apple out of that basket, even though there's a line of like a thousand people behind me who are taking the exact same apple. I I can't stand laziness at all. Yeah, I, I can understand that. It's offensive. <laughs> Your art is all about striving to refine and refine and refine and achieve and get to a place that when people see the art, they go, wow, that is a lot of very good work applied in a good way. Yeah. Well, good luck to you then. You're already really good. But I love the work. That's the thing is maybe other people don't like the work. You have an incredible power of concentration. You can sit there for hours and just draw and paint. And I love it with like every fiber of my being. And some people I think are just like, well, I can, I have hand-eye coordination, so I'm going to use it. And I have 30,000 followers, so I don't have to really do much. I'm going to I'm going to draw the same couple sitting at the tiki bar. I'm going to draw them 20 more times because it's not the way I want it yet. I'm not going to go, "Oh, that's good enough." I'll just hide her other hand behind a tiki mug and be lazy <laughs> about it. Well, Lisa, I hope that more people know about your stuff. Did you want to say anything about your art and how people can look at your art? If you're at all interested, you can find my art at Lisa Penny Art on Instagram. That's Penny P E N N E Y, like J C Penny, but not related to J C Penny. Well, thank you so much. It's been a really fun interview. I'm sorry I made you cry a couple times. I really didn't want to. I feel like I've been going through an emotional period of time, so a lot of things can make me cry. Don't think that it was just you. Okay. But it was a little me. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's okay. All right. Till till next time. Take care. Live long and prosper. All right. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you.